Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, canoe racing fans, to the Canoe Race World podcast. I'm Kevin Olson. I am joined today by our whole host of hosts. We have Rebecca, we have Bill, we have Ryan all with us tonight because tonight's episode is a very special episode. It is the ARCM Prediction Show. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you didn't put the I in there. It'll always be the ARCM. <laughs> Not the A R I C M. No matter how many times they try to change that. A R I C M is the name of the committee. Shh, shh. Da, 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 I don't hear you. I don't hear you. How are we doing tonight, Ryan? Um, excellent. More excited than uh, I can even describe. It's awesome. Good, how are you doing, Rebecca? How are you doing, Rebecca? Yeah. Oh, I'm ready to go. I've, we've been chatting, and I'm all fired up, and probably going to make some people mad, but that's that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how's uh how's the river looking neon bandit ah the the river is down the flow is slow but it doesn't look awful at this point uh, there's some rain in the forecast after last year we were really really fortunate to get what we got so now we're gonna have to you know there's a price to pay we're gonna pay it this year the good news is though is that if you're a light team that's good in shallow water, good at popping the boat, things of that nature, it could actually be advantageous up here because sometimes when we get too much water, it makes it kind of kind of hard. I, I don't know how to describe it, but the boat sticky. doesn't feel yeah, sticky. Yes. Thank you, Rebecca. It's sticky. And we're not going to have sticky water this year short of something drastically changing. Yeah, that's uh. It's very interesting. That's part of one of the uh, topics that we are going to discuss in this show. We're gonna we're gonna try to move along as best we can, but this is the we're talking about the sable. So who knows how long this episode is gonna go? <laughs> we have lots to talk about, and we're all excited. So I mean, the first topic we were gonna discuss is the conditions because, like Bill said. We're talking totally different conditions comparatively to last year. What's that going to do to the teams that are... We have a, a very large field this year and a large field of rookies, which we're going to talk about. And then we're also got a huge clustering in the mid-pack depth, meaning that there are a lot of teams in the middle of the pack that can move up or down the standings just dependent on if they have a good day or bad day because there are so many teams that are very close in ability levels. So we're going to be talking about some of those. I'm excited. I'm so I'm so sad that I won't be be there to either be paddling or uh, spectating with you guys, but I'm definitely going to be watching it from afar. So let's get to it. All right. So Bill already talked to us about the conditions a little bit, but Let's break it down just a little bit more. How low, like, is this, like, extremely low at this point, or is it just, like, kind of low? No, we're, we're not at extremely low. If you talk to some of the old-timers, uh, and i got to be careful because I say old-timers, some of them will probably hurt me for calling them that. 
but there were periods of time where you would have to run the boat in certain spots on this river during the race because it was so sandy and so low. If not run the boat, you were just about guaranteed to be grounding out and in trouble in, in different areas. Uh, we, we got a couple little areas like that, but we're not critically low at this point. We're still raceable as far as the water level goes. Uh, Ryan, right. what's the projected winning time today? Do you know offhand? Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and the, uh, the current as of uh, nine, 1915 uh, Eastern Standard Time was as, uh, 1442.38. Mayo measuring station, which has always been the one we have the most data for, is measuring at 756 cubic feet per second, which does make it a below average flow. Um, upstream of that at Red Oak or Parmalee, uh, it's definitely reading low. But, you know, we've got about 12 days or so till the race, and uh, that can change with rain in the forecast and a lot more hot days as well. Yeah, well, that, that kind of brings us, I think that's uh, something that we all had to pick in uh, our pick of picks was uh, the estimated winning time. I'm looking at our picks right here, and they don't seem too far off, but I think uh, Rebecca is very uh, promising on her pick. Yeah, I chose to be the optimist, so um, <laughs> it looks like there's rain in the forecast somewhere in the Asabo River Valley, I think, like three of the next 10 days. Um, not super high percentages, but any rain anywhere seems to bring this river up Um pretty fast although people from new york probably laugh because we think like three inches of water depth is like a huge raise in the in the river level <laughs> um not three feet but yeah it to me i think you know what just one of those rains have to hit to put us more around uh 1430 so my winning time was 1428 uh 43 um i also think with the types of teams we have racing push each other a little bit so i think they'll go under gauge predicted time gotcha yep that, that's, last, a, that's a good point the, the last time the the range was reading right about this too was in 2016 and uh we had like a 14:45 or so estimated time and, and christoph and ryan you know one and under 14 and a half and it, christoph had said to me after that race it, it was low enough where it was almost the sweet spot and being able to pop the boat in a lot of places so it, it really shaved some timing Sometimes when the water is that low too, it almost seems to channel a little bit more. So the line is a lot more obvious uh, than it would be, you know, we, if you add three inches of depth, all of a sudden it looks like you can kind of go everywhere again. And and that can, you know, make it a lot less clear and harder. Yeah, it could slow you down because you could go off channel. If you're off channel a couple exactly. feet, you could be in that, that suck water that really bogs you down and and uh, that can really wreak havoc on a, on a long race like this. I picked uh, 1440, uh, not even looking at the, the gauge or anything like that, but just from uh, <laughs> mine was uh, purely off Facebook of hearing people saying that they think the water is low. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you picked uh, 1446, correct? Yeah, I, I, I'm also in the lower camp at this point. I don't know that the river will actually be that low as far as estimated winning time. We are going to see some rain in the forecast. Like Rebecca was saying, three of the next 10 days. So it's it's here. 
I think the estimated winning time will be a little bit faster. I almost see a pack race. Like this is a this is a crazy field, and we can talk about that a little later on. I think it's going to be very tactical, and some teams that we think are going to do some different things may not do what we think they're going to do, and the tempo may not get pushed quite as hard as what we're thinking it's going to. That's just my own personal prognostication. I think the estimated winning time on race day is probably about a 14.33, 14.34, and the teams go over this year. Here, let, let me let me pose this question to you. With the water levels being where it is, what team do you think that this is going to be advantageous, and what team do you think that they may struggle a bit because of it? Is there any is there any clear teams, you know, in your eyes that you can say that about where the current conditions are? Somebody just say I, the obvious I, one, right? I, Steven Guillaume, like that's that's got to be the the obvious. I don't think there's a Stern better than Steve in low water. Period. Steve is one of the best all time in shallow water, and and so is Brett Stockton, who's racing. And I'm not even I'm not even necessarily talking about the top guys either. I want to know like who do you guys have that's in the middle? That man, uh, you know, maybe they're going to struggle a little bit because they typically do better in just deeper water races. Is there anyone out there uh, in that category or are there teams that do statistically better in, in shallow water years that are in that, in that middle mix that maybe that's what's going to help them give, get a bunch up and move up five places. One, one that comes to my mind right away is John Webb. He always seems to do better in low water years. I mean, not that he does bad in you know deep water years, but he he you know he had 15th, I think, with Doug Howard one year, one of the lowest water years, and and you know, his performance in lower water seems to be really well. That's that's a good point. So, I mean, I paddled with uh, John down in Florida. There's a lot of uh, shallow water in Florida, and uh, I know John is very thoughtful on his lines, so that does not surprise me. I think uh, shallow water in general will benefit some of the Michigan teams and not just because they're local, but the way a lot of Michigan paddlers steer and run the river is basically reverse steering. Um, And that's because if you're running at night and you're paddling on the technical stuff, uh, it's a lot easier to call that switch early to catch the stern than it is to complete the turn and then call it late and have to steer back. So that reverse steering is really advantageous and especially so uh, when the water's really low. So I think they've mastered that. That's like a, a little trick we use. And I think that will translate well for some of those middle of the pack Michigan teams. And where it, when I and when I say Michigan teams, I should specify a Sopple Valley teams. Um, that would be, let's see, like Joe Lusby, Rob Shadley, even though he, that you might think of them as a little bit bigger team. Buzzy Hartman and Mike Hale, probably Sean Casey and Dave Hawkins. Hawkins. Uh, those teams, yep. I think, yeah, those teams, I think, will do well with that. And then I think there will be some other teams, maybe for the reason not being as comfortable on this type of river, may struggle a little bit more. Um, I don't think that so much will happen, though, for the Texans. I think the second half of the course is going to be strong for them uh regardless of the water condition Mm -hmm. so i don't think they'll you know for them the night is just like the first part of the race something they have to get through 
Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. And, you know, we're talking about the teams that will benefit from it. The other side of that coin is that, and we've got a ton of rookies. We're going to get more into rookies coming up. But the rookies are going to suffer a little bit um, because if you're not spot on and you're not counter steering in that upper section, it's going to be difficult surviving the night. Not that you can't survive it, but you're going to lose time there that you wouldn't normally lose. Yeah, that's that was my observation. That was my question too. Um, you know, and, and with Rebecca talking about like uh, you know river steering and and having uh, you know the Michigan teams having a little bit more of a home course advantage a little bit, but there's like uh, a rookie team of the I, I'm going to butcher their last name, um, but of f- uh, <laughs> the <Fajol>? yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, but they're they're coming from Canada. And so, I mean, we know Canada has a lot of big water. I don't know what they paddle on, you know, traditionally, but could this be a team that maybe they're going to have a little bit of a, and if there's a, you know, Lafibra and uh, Shirley uh, Trudell too uh, up there from, from Canada as well. Are they going to, do you think that they will uh, be uh, some that might struggle with the uh, steering in the night? It's always a little bit of a challenge uh, for the Quebec teams when they come down if they haven't had much time to study the course. But mm-hmm. I also think on the flip side, most of them have a pretty good uh, strategy going in. Like they, they try to ride with a team that they feel confident uh, will will be in a good position for most of the night and then see what comes in the morning. Uh, but definitely those teams are both rookie teams like you know we were mentioning, and that's going to add some challenge uh i believe they both went to this uh i can't remember if they both went to the 70 or not i know the visual father son team did um which you know that's 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 a more extreme shallow to me than the asable ever is yeah yeah and i was gonna say playing off of that i would um I would take a Quebec rookie team over a non-Quebec rookie team in that a lot of them tend to really, or even a New York rookie team, a lot of them tend to really read rivers good. Um, Just my general observation is they can find a channel and they can stay in a channel and run a channel, um, even if they're not familiar completely with where they're at. Whereas some of the other rookies that are maybe not so good at reading a river or running a river are the ones that are really going to be yeah in trouble. Um, we, we could see some carnage. Yeah, it, that would be the, the, the best way to put it. Um, my partner is a is a rookie. Great lady. We're, we're moving well. We're learning. We're having a lot of fun. We're going to keep the nice JD Pro 2 off of the river for spikes. So mm-hmm. we are and run a different boat because we could be at that point. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, question, too, is, uh, you know, rookie teams, it's one thing to be able to read the river, but in my opinion, it's a whole other thing to be able to read the river at night. Um, You know, there's there's a (laughs) I remember, you know, paddling my first uh, marathon back in 2015. And, you know, it, it is a different beast and it's a different beast than just going out and paddling by yourself at night uh as well so i mean this is one of the 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 conversations i think uh affects the the rookie teams the most in the rookie paddlers so i think that's a 
good transition into the rookie discussion. So uh, if I'm correct, uh, there's 54 rookies this year, Ryan? Uh, that's correct, yeah. 54 uh, rookies and 17 rookie teams. Yeah, how many and rookie teams? Seven? Rookie 17. Teams? 17 rookie teams. Yeah, so that's easily that, the most in at least yeah. the last probably 60 years, but... What what what's a normal what's a normal year of rookie teams? Uh, right around eight usually. So we're double that right there. That's nuts. What are your guys' opinions on uh, rookies uh, faring it through the night? With well, seventeen, oh, go ahead, Ryan. No, f you. <laughs> oh, I seventeen teams uh, that could come into play when you're looking for a more experienced team to ride with. Um, you might be in a spot in the pack where they're just kind of few and far between. And uh, that could shape some experiences for sure. You may find yourself thinking that you're following a team that knows where they're going when in reality, they don't really know where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens every year too. Uh, yeah. Happens to us all. So, um, but out of this rookie, out of this rookie class, um, let's pick some, let's pick some people to look out for. Who, who, who you guys got an eye on? Well, the, uh, NACPR is projecting Lefebvre and Trudell to be the top rookie team. I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, I saw them in 28th and that's from, um, what I remember. I mean, when I was a rookie team with my dad, we placed 30. Third, I, I believe, and that was, I think, pretty decent from what I remember of rookie teams doing. So they're projected at 28th, if I remember correctly. Um, so that's a pretty good projection, especially with this field, especially in that mid in that mid pack. Yeah, for as for as deep as this field is, especially in the middle of it, uh, that's that's a really good range for them. Uh, you know, they're strong Quebec battlers. So it's, it's uh, you know, they're not totally green rookies. They come with having some triple crown experience. So that definitely helps them. Yeah, not all rookie teams are created equal. Um, you'll see, like Ryan's saying, there's some that have quite a bit of triple crown experience, um, like Lefebvre and Trudell, or even uh, the father-son uh, visual team and... I believe uh, Allison and Bacharick, are they also a rookie team uh, that's yes, done quite quite well this year at the at the Clinton? So uh, you know they they could be one to watch as well. Um, where we have you know we were looking before this at the Klondike results, and there's some names that I don't really recognize because it's their first race of the season, and. Especially if you're local to Michigan, that's a little bit of a red flag. We have, you know, 15 races on our circuit. Uh, we have training groups going out around the state multiple, at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week. Uh, so the access is is there for most of the Michigan paddlers to get out with someone who knows what they're doing. And, and this is a long race. It takes a lot of technical skill. And some of those decisions might be coming back to bite some of those new teams. 
Now, is there uh, any rookie paddlers that you think are uh, ones to look out? I'm just trying to look towards the towards the top of the standings here. And uh, um, so, for me, we have a lot of uh, a lot of kids under 20 that are racing their their first race, and that's really exciting. Uh, Ryan, I know if you if you know who those are right in front of you, or I, I have a pretty good idea, but. Well, there's there's eight uh, teenagers racing. There's uh, obviously Dane Trudgeon and uh, was it Dale Gust and oh man, put me on the spot. Uh, uh, Travis sorry. Mecklenburg. Yeah. Right. Let's just let's just name them off. I'm talking about Travis <laughs> Mecklenburg. Uh, we've got Kyle Isendorf. Uh, the, the young Fajol. Yeah, Kyle Isendorf. Renel Fajol. So. Uh, Natalie, Natalie Kellogg, she's she raced last year, but she's another teenager racing. So yeah, we, I right. mean, there's just just a lot of of young people racing this year. Most of them. Oh, there's a Spencer Opperman and uh, Brennan Berkshire. Brennan Berkshire? Yeah. Yes, yeah, they're 18 and 19 from I believe Gaylord and yeah. Ross Common or something like that. They're the first youth team that has entered in i think the last 10 or 11 years which is pretty cool since mike mike was a rookie uh, was i think a- i think the last rookie team was actually the mcdonald brothers mike did it after oh. them i think they were 19 were you and ryan 19 your first marathon yeah mike's listening in <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah he was nine they were 19 both of them in 2010 i think that was our rookie year so anyway but yeah mcdonald brothers were just a couple years before that i I don't have all that memorized yet well (laughs) i i only know that because personal stake so (laughs) (laughs) that's where i met mike so i remember how old he was (laughs) nice so um that's great now let's 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 keep moving along Let's talk about this mid-pack. So we have quite the the uh, impressive mid-pack, I would call it. Um, there, we we you know we went and we looked and we looked at trying to you know make predictions all the way down the list. But I know a lot of us uh, start to get you know the the water gets a bit muddy. A bit murky once you start getting lower and lower into these standings because there's a lot because of the the length of the race, you know you don't know what's going to happen over 16 uh, hours uh, in the boat. You know so many things can happen. Boats can get you know you can you can hit a fish hide. You know you can get night sickness. You can you name it. There's going to be something happening to these teams over the course of the night and into the day. So let's talk about the mid pack. Who are some of those some of these teams that you guys are are excited to see um, that are going to be in the in the in the in the middle of the mix? Let's call it. Well, it, I I did a full field prediction that I haven't had a chance to look uh, against the NACPR yet, so probably some of them are really terrible. Uh, but <laughs> as I was sorting through the teams. Um, and using the curling results to look, there were like 10 in 10 minutes of finishing time. I think there were 16 teams between like 15th and 
what would that be, like 32nd or 33rd, something like that. And that's just the teams that are local enough to come to the Curly. So (laughs) when you start looking beyond that and with 54 rookies in the race, it gets really hard to place anybody. Uh, Some, I mean, I I look to Joe Lusby and Rob Shadley to kind of potentially move up quite a bit in the mid pack uh, and, and be surprising. They've been moving really well this year. Uh, Buzzy Hartman and Mike Hale, uh, they've been having a fantastic uh, MCRA season this year. I don't even know if I can call them mid-pack. <laughs> they might be moving into the, the front of the field yeah, they, they may be a touch um, over that, yeah. yep. And Buzzy Buzzy really smoothed out his stroke from what I've been able to observe, and he they are just they are moving fast. You, you know who's a team that I don't know, like uh, I'm looking at the, the NACPR predictions, um, is Millspach Schlimmer. Um, because Joe, you know, Joe had his, his bad shoulder injury, probably almost close to the year mark right here. Um, he, uh, you know, he did come back and do the 70, but you know, is he, is he up for the, for the whole race? He's also had some, you know, uh, issues at some of the previous races. Um, but these guys, these, these guys both have been, you know, you know, I don't know if, uh, Phil's, uh, broken in the top 10, but he's been at like 11th or 10th somewhere in there in that range. So, um, they're, they're someone that I don't know if they can move up. I don't know how high they can move up into the standings, but they're, they're an interesting team to look out for, in my opinion. I would agree with that. Um, you know, Phil, Phil has a 12th place finish as is high and, and Joe's got it at that, uh, one seventh place top 10. Yeah. Um, it, they were kind of hard to, um, kind of hard to project, you know, cause it, I mean, I couldn't find any uh, race results where they were racing together yet this year. You know, nope. Uh, nope. Phil was racing with Emma, and Joe did the seventy. And and um, but the last time they raced together was the um, was the marathon that they they ended up having to drop out of. And yeah, they the, were but they the were one doing that Phil finished in his C one. Yeah, <laughs> but they were but they were doing quite well until until they you know uh until they had to drop and uh so so that's why i think they're an interesting team to look out for in in that mix um yeah the the nacpr probably has them a little lower than uh they Mm -hmm. should be but i mean based on available data they're currently sitting uh 23rd with the 17th to 26th range Hey, Ryan, the, the listeners love the NACPR, right? They absolutely love it. Why don't you give us, or can you give us, like, 30th, 40th, or, like, 40th, 41st, somewhere in there, and then, like, 50th, so that the listeners can get an idea as to what kind of a spectrum we're talking in that 20-boat radius and why it's so hard to predict the field this year? Well, okay. Um, so, in the 30th spot, you know, we have uh, Sean Brabant, Jason Sharp from Roscommon. They've been having a pretty solid MCRA season. Um, and then 10 spots later, we have Allison and is it Bakarik? I, I never heard his name pronounced before. Um, you know, they're they're pretty good um, in the uh, the Clinton from what I've been able to uh, study. And 
you know, in a 41st, we've got Rebecca and Roxanne. You know, Rebecca's, you know, multiple women's and mixed division champ and Roxanne's women's champ in the in the past. And, you know, they're out, they're projected 41st. And it's just that's how deep this field is. And then uh, 50th is uh, Joe Roman and, and uh, Alan Putnam. Uh, this is Joe's first marathon, but uh, he's been doing, you know, both of them have been, been doing well in the, the MCRA race, races. Uh, they had a really good curly, in my opinion. But, I mean, that's just kind of, you know, if you're familiar with them teams, you know, it's, it's kind of incredible that there's, you know, 20 spots between them. Well, to put that into context, just from this weekend, uh, I believe... Sean and Jay beat my mom and I by, I want to say, less than a minute. <laughs> and then Joe and Alan had mm-hmm. a race where they were they were fighting it out with Sean and Jay ahead of us. But the weekend prior, they were just a little ways behind us. So that's probably like you get, you know, multiple races worth of data goes into the NACPR. Um, but, but that shows you what kind of span there is, right? So between 30th place ranked right now down to 50th is probably about two minutes of field space in a three-hour race. In a three-hour, to to give it some context for those of you that aren't familiar with Curly, three-hour race, two minutes separates 30th and 50th. And of course, you know, we're we're all sitting here debating, like, (laughs) you know, we could move someone up 10 places and it's not ludicrous at all. I gave up at 42nd on my predictions because I was like, basically from the low 30s all the way back to about 52, 53, I could just about put hats or put hats in a name, put names in a hat and just start drawing. And it's going to be who has a good night, who doesn't have a good night, etc. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a lot of like, and we go back to the, the discussion we were just having, but I feel like there's a lot of rookies in this mix too. So you don't know like, you know, um, how some of them are gonna are gonna fare for that long of a race. They you might, you know, they might have some experience doing some other races and stuff like that. I mean, these are all like, you know, seasoned paddlers just new to the marathon. Like, um, I, I believe like Matt King. Um, I just, his name stuck out because I paddled with him at the rat race a couple years ago. Um, you know, I don't think he's, he's done the 70 a bunch of times, but that's a day race and, you know, 10 hour, eight, eight, 10 hours, you know, um, there are, you know, a lot of those types of, uh, people that you just don't know how they're going to fare. You know, they could do really well. They could, you know, you know, do do extremely well. They could also struggle. You know, um, but so it's 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 exciting. I think that it's just exciting for especially for the fans because there's 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 going to be so many stories in this race um, from from bot from the bottom to the top. In my opinion, there's just going to be. I wish I was going to be there to, you know, do some like post-race interviews with a couple teams that are all in the same mix, you know, hearing how they battle it out over the night. But hopefully we can get some uh, some good interviews uh, for, for the podcast show um, after the after the race. But 
I'm you mentioned um, real quick before we move on to the next topic. You mentioned battles. Um, that thirtieth to fiftieth grouping. That's going to be the best way to describe it is battles because it's like a badge of honor to that group to be in fortieth, <clears throat> not in forty first, right? Like, mm-hmm. and anybody that's outside of that that's never been there, fortieth is where they want to be. Fortieth is their win. So there's going to be a lot of boats that are looking for that win that want that win. And then there's going to be a lot of boats that are used to being in that top 40 that may not make it. And, and another thing too, is like there are a lot of teams that will go in and out of that whole range too. Like I remember, you know, the races that I've done a, a couple of them, I've been down to 50th and then worked my way back up into the thirties. So like, I remember in, in just as many teams of I've passed you know passed in that I've I've also been passed you know last year I got passed by I couldn't tell you how many people in the in the tail end of our race um in that in that you know in that range um so there's a lot of mix it's not like you can't take you know the standings at Mayo and say okay this this is where the race is going to end because there's so much more racing to be done uh, and you're going to see these these teams moving up and down. It might only be one or two spots per per checkpoint because you guys have so many checkpoints. <laughs> but well, but we got a lot of dams and bridges. <laughs> but in the course but of even, the race, you're going to see a lot of changes. Even that, Kevin, I, just thinking back again to the Curly this weekend, if I think about the teams that we went over Cook Dam, which is the, the first portage maybe 15 minutes into the race versus the teams that we finished by we probably were with 15 different teams during that race and like my my dad and Cecily finished four minutes behind us and there were eight teams in between us so you know they had caught teams and passed teams we'd caught teams and passed teams raced around the same people for the bulk of the race and on paper, if you didn't have the times, we finish nowhere near each other. Uh, so I think there's going to be a ton of movement. It should be really exciting to race uh, and just being out there and seeing all the teams probably isn't something that I've really experienced uh, before. Just having such a dense field and that's really exciting uh, as a as a racer, not not only as a fan. And one team I would like to mention as a, a mid-packer that I'm excited to watch are the Landics, uh, Steve and Connor Landick. Um, I have no idea where they're going to finish. I don't think they have any clue where they're going to finish. Um, but it's so good to see Connor coming back into the sport. And and Steve, too, coming back to the marathon after um, some injuries and some, some other health challenges. Uh, to see them coming back into the community just really makes me super happy and i just hope they have a good one i know i know they'll have fun uh they they don't ever get in the canoe and not have fun so (laughs) which is hopefully what most of us most of us experienced in the race steve's steve's got probably more paddles or more miles paddled than any person on earth which is incredible to think about it's definitely one of those years i think where especially early on when you get a feed you know, any given year, you might get passed by one or two boats while you're, you know, scarfing down your food or whatever. But this year, you could get passed by five, ten boats in the same amount of time. It's just absolutely th- free that, dense of a, that dense of a field. 
Well, that that brings up a whole nother conversation topic is, is what do you do with your strategy? Do you guys, uh, you know, change up where you guys are, you know, where teams are going to pit? Because it could get quite congested in some of the major pit, pit stops. Yeah. I, where I, I worry. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, uh, I imagine, uh, oh, what is it? That's right by Smutex. I'm totally brain farting. Luzerne Park. Thank you. Um, I think that's going to be a madhouse. Um, so I, I remember my last marathon. Granted, that was a long time ago. But, you know, that was 94 teams that year, and it was I was dodging people left and right going through there. Yeah. Yeah. Probably Wakely Wakely Bridge will probably be tough too. There's always seems like quite a few teams feet under the bridge, and you can't see. <laughs> like there's so much light from the bridge that it makes it really difficult to see sometimes what's going on under the bridge and you can't hear anything so from the crowd noise so that that could be those a little bit hairy through there <laughs> yeah question for you guys i know this is a totally random question um but would there be like i, I see mo- almost everyone does pits at all of the the dams would there be any advantage do you think um, to maybe skipping a dam and doing a pit at a spot on the on the river somewhere because if you're doing that you're not stopping you know um, during your portage do you think that maybe tactically that could help help a team in that in that kind of uh, mid pack quite possibly there's there's some teams that you know after mile especially there's like what loud Lau's rest stop and Davis rest stop and uh, I've seen him go right at Cummins Flats. Um, yeah. Being a, a, a chronic mid packer, uh, mid backpacker, you'll see teams that do pit at the flats. I don't think you gain anything by pitting at the flats. Just by my personal low two is that if you're on top of your game and you're pitting quickly on the dam, it doesn't actually cost you anything. So. Later in the race, access to the river becomes a big issue. So the mm-hmm. dams are just convenient. Gotcha. gotcha. So here's my uh, hot take on feeds. <laughs> Is I think the number one issue that people have at dams where they they lose a lot of time is they actually like the feed is plenty fast. It's just them getting in and out of the boat. Like they want to just like kind of chill in the water, relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. with how dense things are going to be i think that's going to be an issue um if you wanted to the fastest way to feed on a portage just for like portaging speed is to actually feed on the flat before you're put in um that's pretty much what everyone does in quebec because you can keep running basically full out have your feeders put your bottles and food in while you're still on the run and then when you put in you don't even worry about it you just take off and go right um i think at Alcona, especially with the new put-in being small and kind of awkward, if you haven't been down there to check it out, they paved it and put awkward. in. I don't know if it's yeah, I don't know if it's like a twenty-foot put-in, uh, but it's essentially taking the last part of the portage down to single file, and there's a very small area for feeders to stage. Um, so that could be a spot where feeding on the flat is going to be a better strategy, especially because you hit that fast water after that dam and it's really fast for quite a while after that. So getting in first there is going to be a big, uh, a big boost. 
that like being getting said, on the treadmill first. If you if you feed on the flat and someone passes you while you're feeding, you're now having to wait in line for their feed and you can't put in. So it's a little bit of a gamble there, but that's one thing I've thought about on, on that dam in particular is getting that feed early on the run and then putting in and going while someone else is, is trying to get theirs sorted out. Mm-hmm. And I think there's actually more room for uh, canoes with the new put in Alcona. Um, I might be wrong, but my memory of the old one was, you know, the, the sharp, the sharp steep steps and that went right into the clay bank that dropped off eight feet in the water a foot offshore. So it's, feeding yeah. there was nuts. Alcona has always been a challenge. Just like you said, the, the, the shore was not nice either. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, it's a great spot to drop teams. That's all I'm saying. Just don't drop me, please. Thank you. Nice guy. <laughs> Sincerely, the guy in the mid pack. <laughs> um, all right. So why don't we why don't we move along? Why don't we uh, start getting in? Let's get let's start getting into that nitty gritty. Um, we're gonna start talking about the the the, the front of the pack. And we're we're not gonna hold back. We're gonna give you guys some of our predictions. And uh, but one thing that we noticed when we're when we're taking a look at this is that it, there are a lot of previous winners in this uh, front pack. Um, so it could be a very interesting race. Um, whereas in there there could not there might not be a clear winner. But I think we all agreed. Uh, that we think that Steve Lajoie is the man to beat. Uh, a lot of times it gets talked about uh, Andy Trebold or Serge Corbin, but I think that Steve Lajoie, and I think that you guys might agree, you guys can uh, chime in if you want, but Steve Lajoie is definitely in that same caliber um, that he's definitely going to be the guy to look at it and, and everyone's kind of got to beat Steve, you know, at this point. Um, what do you guys think? Steve has the most top fives in the triple crown era. So I, I think that speaks for itself. Um, until people can prove that he can be beat, um, you know, repeatedly, I think he's the guy to beat. But that's just my take. So one thing that's really been impressive about Steve's career to me is he's, one, been willing to race with a large variety of partners. Uh, you know, his, his drive to attempt the win is is much higher than his fear of failure. So he's, he's willing to, you know, he's raced with some really good paddlers and not won big races, um, but he's willing to try it and see if they can go as a team. Obviously, with Andy, they have had a very fruitful partnership and have been fairly unbeatable when racing together. Um, but he doesn't let that hold him back. You know, if Andy's not going to the race, Steve's going to find who he thinks is the best partner for him and, and make a run for the win. Uh, so that that's uh, super impressive. And he's won a bunch of different ways. You know, he's gone on a lead out and just tried to grind off the front. He's won in a sprint to the finish. Um, he's won because of a, you know, quicker portage or, you know, making, calling a different line. Uh, And there aren't a lot of, 
you know, champions in any sport that can win a bunch of different ways. And, and Steve's really been versatile that way. And I also think, well, Serge was a wonderful Sternman and also paddled a lot of boat bow. And I think even to this day is probably, you know, the, the biggest champion of the sport. Uh, Steve's really been impressive with his, with his versatility and, and that gets overlooked a lot coming from stern men you know it's like the bow guy gets all the glory i guess he <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of ralph sawyer in some ways being able to paddle and, and win with just about anybody yeah I, I i i've been very impressed with steve uh you know and, and you even look at like you know his uh you know, he has a 70C1 Pro victory. You know, he's won Canton a bunch of times. Um, you know, he's just all around. He's one of those those guys that I think that he needs to be in that conversation of, you know, we don't, we don't need to, we don't need to say, oh, it's Andy or, or, or Serge racing. It's, it's a Steve racing. You know, uh, because that's where the conversation, I think, has to start. But, uh, Bill, you want to add anything on this before we, we get moving on? No, I, I think you guys nailed it. Um, Re- Rebecca really brought up a great point in that it hasn't been just with Andy. Um, we think oftentimes in Michigan, anyways, we think it's the Steve and Andy show and the Steve and Andy show. And they had a, a, an incredible partnership, right? But if you look into Steve and look into the ACCQ results and look into his other triple crown races and stuff like that, Steve can figure out a partner for him and then lay out a game plan tactically, depending on the course and depending on the competition to win or at a minimum have a shot to contest the win at the end. And that's really impressive, right? It it shows a depth of intelligence well beyond like, Hey, this guy's just really strong and good at canoe paddling. Um, he, he, he's playing chess. Well, a lot of other people are still playing checkers. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a a great, you know, um, a a great way to put it, but also a great way to, to discuss the, you know, the, the, the next team that, we all have on our uh, slated in for the second place um, is the the reigning champs of, of uh, Jordan Wakeley and Matt Mearsman. So what do you guys think is good is going through Steve and uh, Guy and uh, Guillaume's uh, head on how how they're going to tackle the Wakeley Mearsman uh, team? So I've been thinking about this race a lot. Uh, one thing with Jordan and Matt is I don't know that I've seen a team, of, a men's team especially, that's had that type of synergy that they're they're able to carry. Uh, they're both incredible paddlers on their own, but they really seem to be hitting on something special at, as a team. And and that's kind of lightning in the bottle. There's there's a little bit that maybe I don't, I'm not taking fully into account um, in what they can do at the finish. And, and I definitely won't be surprised if, if they win. Um, this isn't, to me, this is really a two horse race for, for the win. And while I've picked Steve and Guillaume to take it, I, I'm not super confident in that pick. Um, Jordan and Matt are going to be really, really strong at grinding it out if they choose to fully commit to that strategy. 
And what they kind of, in my opinion, need to do to have that work is basically relax, trust the process, and have patience with what they're going to do. So Steve and Guillaume are probably going to get out of town a little bit better. Uh, the portaging in Quebec just sets them up really well uh, for that run and getting in clean and just the stern ability um, of Guillaume. I assume Guillaume is going stern, uh, getting out of town. They're just so used to that, like being tumbled around by the wake and have so much experience as a team that if there's anyone in front of them, I don't see that being difficult for them to pass at that point where Jordan and Matt may, that's probably not their strongest part of the race. Um, so if, you know, Steve and Guillaume get out in front, I think their best tactical strategy is to just keep it feeling really good and not really worry about what Jordan and Matt are doing until late in the race, because I think they have the race experience and probably just that sprint speed that comes with racing in Quebec and a lot of pack races to manipulate that part of racing. So use those t pack tactics, make sure you hit those critical point for points first, but don't use too much to stay ahead of a team that their whole race is going to be grind. Like their whole goal of the race is just to grind the, you down. This is the, the, the consummate <laughs> grinder team, right? Right. Um, and it's very rare that you have boat magic. That's, that's what I was thinking of as you were describing their synergy in the boat. It's boat magic. It's very rare that you see boat magic in grinders. Exactly. And, you, and, and Jordan, you have, Go ahead. Jordan and Matt, their best bet is just to go out and be like, honestly, we're going to ignore this team, but we're going to hit those checkpoints first. So, you know, when we get to that dam, we have the speed, we have the magic that we can just hit that dam first. We can hit the shallow first. We can, you know, get to the fast water first without having to put in like these, you know, big sprints and positioning. And eventually that's going to wear on the other team. So that hopefully when you hit that final portage at foot and it's single file to get out of the steps, then then you're the team that hits them first. And and I think that's going to be maybe the race breaks before that. But I think, you know, that that's going to be both teams need to look at that as as kind of the, the point that has to be won. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting aspect of the, the, the two boat race here is that uh, assuming Steve and Guillaume go off the front like we think they're going to do in the shallow waters, normally teams are chasing them. And, and by the time somebody catches a Steve and Andy, if they were to catch a Steve and Andy or even remotely come close to a Steve and Andy, they'd be smoked. Absolutely smoked. Um, not that they still wouldn't be fast, but to actually contend at that point wouldn't really be realistic. You don't have that with Wakely and Mearsman. Uh, this is a team that can stand on it from Grayling to Oscoda and just go ham the whole way. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting. When and, when I look at, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, Re Rebecca nailed it. I think the best thing, and I I truly believe Jordan and Matt can win this. Um, the, the one thing at this point I've learned about Jordan Wakeley is you really don't want to bet against him. Um, so I would not wager any money on this race at all. The one thing Rebecca mentioned that I think needs more emphasis is that if I was that boat, I wouldn't even worry about the other boat. Okay, I'd go out there and go, we are going to do a time trial from Grayling to Oscoda as fast as we possibly can and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. So when I look at this this race, you know, I, I look at it as really like, 
in my opinion, it's like fitness versus experience. So I, I think that, you know, um, you know, I think that, you know, Jordan Mearsman, their, their fitness is just, and this is one of the reasons why they're so such good grinders is because they, they got incredible, uh, fitness base, you know, Jordan from, uh, having that background in, in cycling as well. Um, and I think that don't, you know, I think it's going to be a battle. Uh, I definitely think it's going to be a battle, but the one thing that I will kind of, you know, say to the end is that canoe racing is, I mean, is a very tactical sport. And I think that Lejoie is going to have, uh, have them, you know, where he needs them to be, um, tactically. And I think that just comes from his, his immense amount of, uh, experience, uh, being at the front and also being racing all different parts of the, you know, uh, of canoe racing, you know, he just is going to have, and you can, you can't throw anything at Steve that Steve probably hasn't seen already. Um, whereas in, I just don't, you know, I don't know. Um, weekly has, you know, weekly Mearsman have the fitness and Mearsman has a bunch of experience, but I don't know if weekly has as much experience that he would need to tackle, um, the experience that Lisboa has. It'll be interesting to see, how these two boats unfold the race, right? How it plays out. Um, Cause I don't know how you game plan for it. If you're, you're Steven Guillaume, it, it just, yeah. Yeah. The, it, to, to say that Wakely doesn't have a whole lot of tactical experience in canoe racing is correct. But yet he won last year and he gets better yeah. every time he gets in the boat and yep. a lot of what he does in the cycling world to to kind of watch him and follow him, you know, in the mountain bike racing world is very tactical. Um, mm-hmm. And he translates that over very quickly. So it's going to be good. Yeah, for sure. What are, what do the stats say? Go ahead. Yeah, Ryan, what do the stats say, Ryan? Ask. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was just going to add a quick little uh, observation of my own. Uh, I think it, it often goes unsaid, too, that, you know, Matt Mearsman is an excellent portager. In, in my experience watching him, I mean, the reason he has the five channels point-to-point records because him and Josh Taylor portaged ultra fast and, you know, left left the dam uh, really hard, and, and, they, and they, they smoked that point-to-point. Um, and every time, you know, Mearsman's excellent at getting out and getting in really quick, and so I don't, I'm not sure that uh, Lejoie and uh, Blay are, are going to, gain a whole lot on the portages just because, you know, Wakely and, and Mearsman are good at, at the portages. Um, now, what do you guys think? Not to move off of the first two boats, um, but moving back to third, fourth, fifth, like, does anybody here think that there's a chance we could see a pack race? It's been a lot of years since we've had a true pack race at the front. Is this the year that it happens? I My don't think so. No. Yeah. Go ahead, Go ahead, Rebecca. Oh, just, I I think Jordan has made it known he wants to race from the front. And I don't see him letting anyone really stay there. I I mean, really looking at it, there's maybe two teams that can hold on for any significant length of time besides Guillaume and Steve. I would would say uh, Chris Prue and Kyle Stonehouse if they're feeling feisty. And then 
Westine and Ryan Halstead would be the other. Uh, but I just, especially with the shallow water, I don't think that that's something people are going to want to do for the first few hours. And then once it gets easier to ride, the field's already broken. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that those two te- teams are going to want anyone else hanging around. Um, I think that that muddies the waters and, and makes it um, ha- even harder tactically. So I think that both of those teams are going to want to get out uh, as, as quickly as they can and, and create some separation when they can. So, so what happens? Let me ask this question. What happens when Wakely and Mearsman run up through the through, you know, say they're third, fourth and they run up second? If they get by Dean and Halstead and they can't get rid of West Dean and Ryan Halstead and bring those two guys to the front. Um, if they, so you're saying they bring Dean Halstead. So it's a three, a three, pa- a, three, a three, three boat, boat race. race to the front. I mean, that could definitely change things up because, you know, now you're talking like that's a legit pack. That's um, there's going to there has to be more um, tactics involved with it um, because it's it gets even when there's more boats in a pack, there's going to be more importance on getting to the spots first. You know, the water gets, you know, harder and harder in this in the in the critical spots. Um, when there's more boats. So that definitely, like what Rebecca was saying earlier, is, you know, the first team there can kind of wear other teams down, um, especially when there's a lot of uh, critical spots on the river. My my take on this is I, I do think that Wes Ryan are going to be in the top two, at least just to fans. I think they'll hang in there. I mean, they, they know that water so well. Uh, Ryan, I don't know what his times are, but I know he's running that really well um, year after year and has, has been really strong through that section. I think where things are going to start to break apart is the other two teams just have a glide that's going to be easier than, than Wes and Ryan's. And you can just see it in the way the boats move in the water. And it, it might take a long time for that to come into play, but at some point that will come into play. And, and you know, maybe in those early shallows, it'll be Jordan and Matt that are getting dropped off the back, but that glide that they have is going to keep carrying them up. And I just, I, I might be very wrong, <laughs> but I, I feel like Wes and Ryan eventually are going to feel um, that their boat isn't running quite as smooth and, and that's, that's going to be their demise. So the, the the wild card here, though, and you mentioned them, we have former champion Chris Pruel with Kyle Stonehouse, and nobody knows how their boat's going to move together. Yeah, I'm sure they'll have excellent glide. I, I don't think that'll be a problem, and they'll have a ton of skill. Yeah, and that, this is one of those teams that when we're when I'm looking at how we picked them. Um, we all picked them in a different spot, and I think it's just it's a, they're a little bit of an unknown. I mean, we know they're going to be up there. We know they're going to be in the mix, but where exactly in the mix? I think it's a little that's a little bit of an unknown. Yeah, Magic Eight Ball says unclear. Where does the NACPR have them, Ryan? Uh, well, Prue and Stonehouse are projected fifth with a range of fourth through eighth currently. 
Um, mind you, this is only counting through the curly race. Um, I do revise these again after spikes and I try to revise them as well after the sprints. But uh, the ones that get published are just the ones after curly. Yeah, so, so why don't we move down? So the f we all had the top three the same, um, and then we kind of uh, all started to deviate a little bit. Uh, where do we, uh, where do you guys uh, think of, what are some of your, your teams in this? Uh, we'll, we'll put it in the, in the fourth through eighth range um, that you're expecting big things of, and who do you think that you don't know how they're going to do? I'm expecting a, a good race from the Minars this year. Uh, Logan and Kyle are racing together. Uh, they've been fifth once in the past. I picked them at fifth again. Um, right behind, I'll say my fourth, is Mike Davis and Ryan Zaverell. And honestly, I see the pack of four through six. Uh, my six was Chris Prue and Kyle Stonehouse. Um, I see them together a lot through the night and, and maybe into the later part of the race. And uh, that kind of being a pod that's kind of similar in speed. So I, I think the miners should have a good one. They both seem to be in good shape this year and had good Clintons racing well this summer. So I look for them to do well. I'm I'm expecting, you know, I, I had uh, Davis Zavarro as fourth uh, and I have Prue and Stonehouse in fifth. Um, I think that's where they're they're, they're going to be able to uh, I'll bring it out. And I actually had uh, Medina Hunter in uh, sixth, um, and that might be the team that I would say in this range that I I'm I'm hopeful uh, for. I think Danny's uh, due for for a nice good finish uh, in there, and and that's why I kind of uh, picked them. I put them above uh, minor and minor. I have them in seventh, um, but that's just that that was a gut feeling. Um, personally honestly but um bill what do you got i was gonna say i have the uh the, the same basic pod as rebecca uh just a little different order i have a uh, pool and stonehouse fourth davis Zavarell fifth minor minor sixth um when we talk about a pod put the names in the hat and it's all going to come down to who's feeling good at the end because i think those those three boats are all gonna gonna match up really nicely. So I do. Um, with Pruel Stonehouse being the only like wild card in that that team could shock the world and move up, right? If they have boat magic, it, it could happen. You know, we could we could see them in a third. You know, where's the NACPR have for fourth through sixth, Ryan? Uh, fourth through sixth, uh, we have Davis and Zavril in fourth. Um, Bruce Stonehouse fifth and Isendorf Stockton in sixth. Uh, and Isendorf Stockton uh, had uh, the NACPR had them higher than all of you had uh, uh, predicted them. Um, I do find it interesting that in the top six projected teams, there are six former champions. Definitely a lot of experience in that 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 top five there. Yeah, I th I think that Is the Isendorf uh, Stockton team. Is is another interesting team. Um, do have they? Do we have any race results with them together as a team? I don't think Brad has done a, a short race this year. I really was hoping to see him at Curly because that was my question mark. I was like, hey, how is this going to play out? I have him in eighth, 
I'll, I'll openly say it. I think that team is still a top 10 team. Um, who knows where they're actually going to fall, but eighth is my prediction. So yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've heard that Chris and Brett are choosing not to do any races together before the marathon to come in kind of as a dark horse team. So they're, I, I don't know if that, that's true, but we'll see it spikes. Uh, I think they, they want to fly under the radar. Well, Brett, his whole career has had the reputation of being able to do extremely well on very little training, or at least the appearance of very little training. So it, this should be an interesting team to watch. Yeah, they're they're definitely a, a team that you know another team that I mean we can we could say this about so many teams in this field that they could they could definitely surprise us, um, you know. So it, j- just because we <laughs> sometimes you just got to pick you got to you got to p- pick some names and and put them down on the on the paper and sometimes when you're doing it you could put them uh, you can you know pick the pick the names ten different ways. Um, but that that's definitely a team that you know you definitely don't want to count them out. We just don't we just don't have the data, like you said, that are they're a dark horse. We we don't we just don't know. We know that they both have absolutely no idea. Yeah, we we know that they have the ability in them, but we just don't know what that ability looks like against the current field and without any other you know race data of them together. It's kind of hard to to to, to get a gauge. So, um, all right. Do we want to keep on going down the down the list here, or uh... I'd like yeah. to mention uh, Rich Sloth and Matt Gabriel. Uh, I have them in eighth. I think that that kind of I guess fourth through tenth will be closer than it has been in some years, and I think in you know in the right conditions they could be up higher than that. But those two skill wise have improved so much over the last three or four seasons, and uh, I really hope that pays off for them. Like I said, place them in eighth. I think that's a good solid finish for them. But uh, I'm excited to see they they really seem to be working well as a team and coming together at the right time. Uh, that's a that's a great mention. I have them in ninth. Um pretty much echoing your your sentiment on that team. I, I think Rich is probably one of the most underrated bow paddlers um, in what I would call the Asabo River Valley paddlers. Uh, even though he doesn't live up here, he's, he, we think of him as an Asabo River guy. Um, highly underrated. I, I think that team is a solid top 10 finish. Yeah, I and I had I had them in ninth. I mean, 10th, I'm sorry. Um, and... I'll I'll be honest. I think I it's because I put oh, man in in Galenus ahead of them because I, I just I feel like Matt, uh, Patrick has uh, um I just think that he's he 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 showed me a lot of good stuff early this year um, that I think that it's it's about to you know pay off and he's gonna get in, in inside. He's gotten Ryan. He's gotten tenth before, correct? Uh, Matt, Madden, uh, he has had ninth. Has he had ninth? But I this mean, was Steve Watson, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I, I think he's going to be able to squeak, uh, squeak into that ninth, ninth spot. So, um, but yeah, it, like like I said, I could have drawn it up a couple different ways. So, what what other uh, insight do you have, Ryan, into the top ten, or what is the 
what are you, what does the staff say? Yeah. yeah. Either well, way, your personal I'll, I'll, or. I'll keep. I try not to do the, my personal on this just because I'm <laughs> on the committee. But um, you know the, the NACPR. You know it has uh, the miners in seventh, uh, Medina and Hunter in eighth, and you know Danny Paddle. He's improved a ton in his not you know not just his career but the last couple of years especially. And Collins improved as well. Um, you know ninth NACPR has Louth and Gabriel. And you know Gabriel and Zavarell were running as high as third last year, so definitely a lot of improvement. Um, expect good things from them. And then tenth, uh, Burmeister and Mead. Uh, you know last year they finished fifth in the marathon, and and this year they're they're projected tenth. Um, maybe part of that's because they switched ends in the boat. It's hard to tell, uh, but it could also be just the level of competition this year is just really tough um and then uh i'll read off one more uh, madden and jelinas uh projected in 11th uh they had that the early success um in the in the in the year and but i haven't really seen much race results with their names on them since so it's hard to get a judge of what their uh what their uh, training is lately and and whether they're peaking right now or um you know where they're going to be at Hey, give us a give us twelfth, right? Because Quebec doesn't get enough enough talk. So who's in twelfth? Uh, uh, Pruno and I think it's pronounced Charette. Uh, that's have... why I put you uh, under the bus <laughs> there because I couldn't pronounce those. <laughs> uh, Charette, I, I I'm I'm terrible. Uh, I I try and ask uh, how people pronounce their names, but not everybody responds before I uh, have to try and pronounce them. Uh, but they they're solid solid Quebec team. They've had some success in the uh, Triple Crown races uh, outside the marathon. Uh, I believe this is Charette's first marathon, Pruno's second. So a little bit of uh, Sable inexperience, but they should be fast uh, regardless. Um, and then 13th projected is uh, Jake Kratzer and Al Shaver Jr. Uh, Al Shaver, obviously a veteran from New York, really quick and uh, Crosser, an up-and-coming paddler uh, with a bright future. Uh, NACPR for 14th is Walton and uh, Clay Wyatt. Uh, Walton's kind of the honorary Texan at this point, but he is from Michigan, and uh, Clay, obviously, from Texas. Uh, not much not much race data on the, them this year, but uh, they've both been pretty fast in the past. They got a long enough paddle in them, so... Right, yeah, the, the water <laughs> safari definitely should. Uh, Good warm up, right? Yeah, right. They, they might be recovered for it by the time they're um, Well, I mean, I know this is totally out there, but talk about someone being uh, uh, struggling with the recovery. I, I would, I think uh, Mike Schlimmer is going to be uh, going to have a, a, a rough. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, it's going to be it's going to be hard to be fully recovered from. He just uh, finished and won the Yukon uh, 1000 in the canoe with his brother uh, Ben this year. Yeah, yeah that's not, that, a, that's not a real long turnaround time between the two events. No, either. no, yeah. no. Especially yeah, it's like maybe three seven. weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cross country travel and three weeks. So good, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. You know, six days, six and a half days of 
18 hours of paddling a day. <laughs> Some, someone posted on Facebook, and I was like, yeah, he might need another long run in there between there. It's <laughs> a joke. Well, anyone can do it. It's Mike Schlemmer. Yeah, it's for sure. So, um, But I, I interrupted you, uh, Ryan. I think you were on uh, 15th. Yeah, um, for sure. 15th NACPR has uh, Luke Mercier, I think is how you pronounce it, and Anthony Massacott. A uh, couple of guys from Quebec uh, really coming together. Uh, last couple of years, both of them have been getting much faster. Um, they could definitely finish higher than 15th. Uh, it's just how the math came out. Uh, 16th, uh, Travis Mecklenburg, a teenage and a rookie, teenager and a rookie. Uh, racing with Austin Weiler. They've been doing really well in the MCRA races. They had an excellent curly race, especially from uh, foot down to the finish, despite, uh, I believe, uh, having to go around some day trippers that caused them some issues. Projected 16th there. Uh, the next team, uh, Weston Willoughby, last year's second place marathon finisher, and uh, his nephew, I believe, Dan Trudgeon, who's 15. And after that, we have our first women's team, Sarah Lassard and Edith McCaddy. Uh, Edith is a record holder for the women's division and a multiple-time women's champ. And Sarah is also a former, I believe, mixed champ. Uh, they should do extremely well there. Nineteenth, um, we have uh, Russ Reeker and Zach Childs. Uh, Zach's come, come a long way. I believe he's 20 years old. Um, definitely one of the rising stars in this sport. And Russ, uh, savvy veteran with a lot of power. He's fun to be around as well uh, every time I've been around him. And then uh, 20th, uh, Jason Hatfield, Brad Wilson. Uh, really solid team from uh, Grayling and uh, Rockford, Michigan. So I think the one, uh, well, we have a few divisions we haven't mentioned, uh, but the mixed. Mixed notably, we don't have in the top 20, which is unusual in the uh, in the ensemble. And uh, but it's just kind of the way things are playing out this year. There's been a really heavy uh, presence of top women racing women, um, but that doesn't mean that the mixed field's weak. It's just a strong field overall. No, yeah, I, I I do have hit Ted and uh, Mary in 19th in my projections. Um, but it would be plausible to see them slide outside of the top 20, I guess would be the way I would put it. It's, it's like, like we said, there's just, there's a lot of teams that can slide up and down in this, in this field. Um, it's not, as, it's not as clear cut as in years past. Ryan, how many, um, that's something that we haven't mentioned yet. How many mixed and women's teams do we have this year? It seems like there's a lot of mixed teams. Oh, well, we did get a, a drop today, um, Dan Gary and Carrie Montgomery uh, withdrew this morning, but uh, I have it on good authority that Carrie is signing uh, back up with LJ Bourgeois. So that'll bring our total to 20 mixed teams. Uh, a few teams under the record number, but still a really deep field. And uh, we have seven women's teams as well. What's the record for women's teams? Nine. Nine. 24 is the record for mixed teams. Why don't we... Uh, do you guys want to uh, call out any of these uh, um, other, other... divisions. Yeah, other divisions uh, or 
yeah, whatever you want to call them, uh, before we talk about the teams that we're going to look out for? Um, I can run down the uh, the age group divisions. Well, I think I'll leave it there just because I'm not sure on the. We have some other things, the marathon tracks, mm-hmm. but they're a little more obscure. <laughs> uh, so for Masters, um, I think the easy choice and the, the NACPR agrees is Isendorf and Stockton winning the Masters. Uh, for seniors, which is 50 plus, uh, we have Paul only and Andy Hall, uh, New York and New England pairing. And then for the veterans, 60 plus, we have John Webb and Dan Mecklenburg. And they had a great race last year and look to be moving maybe even better this year. So um, those divisions, though, there's always a surprise in in one of those. (laughs) Great. So now let's uh, let's let's chat about your your one pick of a team that you think that. If you are watching the race, who should you be watching out and watching the standings on how they do? Um, I'll start. I, I picked uh, Croster and uh, Shaver um, for my team. And the reason I picked them is um, because Jake is still very, very new. And Shaver hasn't done the uh, marathon in a long time from what I remember. Uh do you know, Ryan, when the last time he raced, roughly, or? 2002. 2002. So you're talking 20 years. So, um, I mean, Al's a, a, a phenomenal paddler, um, and, but it's also been 20 years since he's been on the river, you know? So, and Jake's, Jake's still young, so there's still a lot of, uh, you know, he only had one, he only's had the, done the Sobble once, so. But he's but he has also traveled out to uh, um, Michigan a couple times this year too. So um, he's had he has a good amount of experience on the river um, comparatively to some other uh, out of out of uh, state teams. So that that's one of the reasons why I think they'd be an interesting pair to, and I'll definitely be watching them uh, come marathon night. Bill, who who do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with a little bit of a a homer pick here, but I think this is a really interesting team to watch um, in that it's Russ and Zach Childs, uh, Russ Rieger and Zach Childs. Zach's progression over his paddling career has been amazing to watch, and he's still young, right? He's still a, a, a kid, basically. Maybe I feel old in life, but Zach's a kid, and here he is. I... I have them picked in 16th. Um, this is his chance to bust into the top 20. You know, even a a top 25 in this field is hard and highly valued. Um, and he's got a long runway. And I don't know that there's a better paddler to give him that experience than Russ. Right? You, you talk about somebody that's been there before, that that's seen all the situations. Um, just really excited to watch him. And that's saying something in this field because we do have a, you know, a, a Travis Mecklenburg, um, you know, who, who everybody's watching as well. Uh, plus a lot of other youth paddlers that may do amazing things in this marathon. For sure. For sure. Rebecca. 
So I chose Chris Prue and Kyle Stonehouse. Uh, they're going to be, you know, really fun to watch because the, the ceiling is so high. I mean, you know, Chris has won. Kyle just was fifth in the Clinton. I wouldn't say totally unexpectedly, but, you know, that was probably the upper limit of what most people thought they could do as a team. And just as knowing uh, there's actually, for such a young pairing, quite a bit of experience in that boat at a really high level. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them up as far as third or even running in the front group uh, for part of the race. I mean, heck, I guess if they're in the shape for it, they might stay there. But, um, you know, and, and maybe they won't. Maybe they'll finish around a tenth or something. But I don't even think that's a uh, I don't even think that's like a bad race for this team. It's. They kind of came together as a late pairing and, you know, Chris has, is just excited to be back racing and Kyle, you know, wanted to, to get someone that he could really gel well with. And I, I see them going very well together. So honestly, I think it's kind of cool to see two younger guys who, who've really been at the top end of the sport to maybe just getting to do this race to enjoy it. And, and just to see what happens. So I'm I'm really rooting for them to do well. Hopefully not too well because I'm you know a homer for Mike. But <laughs> but uh, I think it's a good I think it's a good story to see those guys um, kind of you know persevering through some some things to to be in a spot where at their age they can they can understand what it takes to win, but then also understanding that there can be more than that too. But what's crazy is is that they're both still really young, but we think of them as seasoned veterans. Um, right. And this is almost like a free roll year for them, right? They don't have the pressure of going out there and trying to win the thing or anything like that. It's just two really fast paddlers that are going to get in the boat together and hopefully have some fun and have some glide and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It's They, they could – I mean – it, I would be surprised to see them win, but at the same time, I, you know, it wouldn't make you fall out of your chair or anything. And they're, you know, super talented, and and that's just got to be a really awesome feeling to to come into the race with uh, a lot of ability and not a lot of expectation. Yeah, yeah, you don't have you don't have all that pressure, right? Right. I I, I like following uh, to kind of build on. On yours, I like following Kyle's career because uh, when I first started paddling, he was one of the people I trained with the most. Uh, he was paddling with his stepdad Jerry Killingback, and you know he lived in Taos at the time, and so we trained a lot on the lower end of the river, and, and got, I got to know him pretty well. And, and so it's it's fun seeing Kyle uh, really succeed, and uh, you know he kind of pulled a fast one on me. Uh, earlier saying he wasn't racing this year and then all of a sudden signed up with Kristoff and I think shocked quite a lot of people. But uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, my my team to watch is uh, Weston Willoughby and Dane Trudgeon. Uh, a lot of that is uh, Dane Trudgeon. He is uh, 15 and I think he's probably the most experienced 15-year-old the marathon's going uh, to start the marathon since Matt Reimer in 1999. Uh, you know, the, the marathon is notoriously tough on 15-year-olds. There aren't many who finish, and the ones that do typically don't finish all that well, with, you know, some notable exceptions. So I'm excited to see how Dane does. You know, he's he's obviously from a, a good paddling family, and, and he's got Weston, who's a great paddler. 
you know, they've, they've got the speed to maybe even inch up into the top 10 or higher, and uh, I'm excited to see how they do. One thing Ryan and I, or I have talked at Ryan, I guess, about <laughs> is uh, Weston, you know, racing with his nephew. They've spent a lot of time in the boat together, but also, like, how often does a 15-year-old get to race with a guy kind of in the prime of his career? So, so you know, Matt Reimer started out racing with Tim Trebold, and Tim was definitely uh, towards the sharp end of the field. Uh, but, you know, Weston's really young 30s really coming into his own and uh that's you know a lot that he can give to to Dane both speed and experience wise uh that it'll be just awesome uh, as he matures as a paddler to look back on that and and getting that opportunity yeah for uh, sure absolutely agree uh, I mean other than Matt racing with uh Tim uh Ben Hugis racing with I believe it was your dad and yeah. six, uh, you know, I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head. Um, anyone, any other fifteen-year-olds, anyway, off the top of my head, who had a really experienced and and speedy partner for their first race. Yeah. So, well, I think that's a a good place to kind of uh, leave it. Now, we did get a fan question. Uh, in there, I think that we should tackle that on a later episode, but we will tackle the the hardest question of them all. How many Encrustables are too many Encrustables? <laughs> there is no such thing as too many Encrustables, right? I've already got mine stockpiled in the freezer. No, you can't have them. I may trade them for a brand new zone paddle. We'll see. <laughs> I, I bought a box just to see if I could pedal some when I go to Grayling. <laughs> Apparently, I got mine in the freezer. I'll, I'll pull out and eat in the middle of the night just for uh, <laughs> just camaraderie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what flavor are you guys? Like, Strawberry. So I guess we're unpopular opinion over here. We're definitely a grape household. You team grape? Okay, cool. No, I'm with you. I'm team grape. That's good. Yeah. I, I I had the grape. Was it was it last year? For the, it could have been for the marathon. Yeah, last gra- year. grape was all you could find last year. Yeah. You couldn't get strawberry anywhere. So it was it was fine, but I, I like what strawberry about, better. What do you What about you, Ryan? Well, I've never had one during the race, but I did buy a box of strawberry. <laughs> so, but then in uh, we will also tackle the questions of. Uh, what to do when uh, hitting the wall or bonking and uh, roughly how many uh, target calories you should intake per hour. Um, we can try to tackle that. It's, it's the, the, yeah. Some of those are like general um, endurance uh, sports questions that you can find on a lot of other, um, you know, endurance uh information sites or, or podcasts or, or what have you but we'll definitely we'll definitely hit on those i think we'll probably uh, hold those off to the off season when we start to hit more uh, off-topic conversations because we just got so much racing to talk about <laughs> but uh do you guys want to leave with any closing notes before we sign off uh, yeah all, all i have to say is i shook the magic eight ball and it said future unclear, right? I, I think that's the best way to describe this year. Future unclear. 
I'd like to say good luck to everyone racing. I think most of our audience is probably paddlers. So good luck to everyone. I hope you have a safe, safe night. And uh, I'll talk to you probably in Grayling first, but then in Oscoda after. I'm beyond excited for this year. Can't wait to follow everybody. And uh, I can't wait to get everyone to sign my shirt again. Uh, it's a little tradition. And like I said at the beginning, I'm just uh, going to be uh, thinking about you guys um, and following you from afar all the way down the river. And I wish everyone a safe trip down the Sable and enjoy it because there are some of us that are, don't have the luxury to enjoy it. So when you're out there in the, in the darkest of moments, remember that there's other people that would love to be there in those dark moments with you. Um, that just can't. So, uh, with that, guys, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, keep paddling on. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com. And don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling. Keep paddling.